0: Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on Wednesday, August 25, 2021. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for this evening's podcast. This evening, we're talking with Chelsea Tobin, a climate change activist out of Austin, Texas. Climate change, or as I prefer to call it, global warming, is an existential crisis in the making. It has been predicted for a number of years, and now with all the fires and intense storms and floods and hurricanes and tornadoes, well, it looks like Mother Nature is finally waking up and telling us something. But what does global warming really mean? How is it going to affect our lives, if not already? And most importantly, what can we, each of us, do about it? Chelsea Tobin has been a community organizer for about six years. She got her beginnings doing grassroots organizing in Denver at the Blue Bench the Sexual Assault Prevention and Care Center for the Denver metro area, and a sister organization of the Texas Campaign for the Environment, or TCE. During that time, she cross-trained to other environmental offices across the state, working on local environmental fights in New Jersey, Pittsburgh, and New York, to name a few. In September 2020, she took over the role of staff director in the Austin, Texas TCE office. TCE's mission is to engage people and communities through face-to-face public education, grassroots organizing, and action-oriented research for a cleaner and healthier Texas. They work on polluter accountability and enforcing regulation for the bad actors in the industry, among many other fights. In her view, there is no better place to work on progressive environmental policy than in the great state of Texas, Grassroots organizing has taught her a tremendous amount about people, communication, motivation, patience, finding common ground, and finding her voice as an activist. She's honored to have the opportunity to fight for what she loves. So, Chelsea, welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, and thank you for joining us this evening.
1: Thank you so much, Dan. I'm really happy to be here and really appreciate the space and the platform. Um, Thanks for having me on.
0: Wonderful. Well, you know, I'd love to talk with you more about the environment and activism in general. But, um, but before we get started, uh, can you fill in some background for us? I mean, what motivated you to become an activist for the environment?
1: That's a great question. Um, so I guess speaking in the shorter term. Um, so, for instance, when I was offered the role to take over as staff director here in Austin, um, i was initially pretty hesitant because i was very happy and content uh living in denver colorado like i love the state and had a great community there um but the in the end opportunity and call of this position was too big to pass up um especially you know I, i'm sure we're all aware of the paris climate um you know accords where oh. that came out where the report was yeah um mm-hmm. 1.5 degrees celsius we have sort of that window where that that um uh
0: yeah, overall um, global. You know, that warming. percentage
1: that we're, we're able.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Um, and so that's that's huge. And, and you know, Texas is um you know, the crux of like big oil and gas. And we know it's essentially a ticking time bomb of, you know, if we if we burn off all of the the crude oil that's in the Permian, um, then that would put us well over that uh one point five degrees Celsius. Um so yeah, the the call was huge. At the end of the day, I I didn't wanna turn an opportunity to be working on, you know, what's in my mind the biggest, one of the biggest issues facing humanity right now. It's it's definitely like an existential sort of, um, you know, problem and something that we need to all be taking very seriously.
0: Very conscious, uh, environmentally conscious person to begin with, and you found a pretty good home. So talking about that, can you tell us a little bit more about the uh, Texas Campaign for the Environment, or TCE, um, now, I looked at its mission statement online. It talks about creating a cleaner and healthier Texas. Um, mm-hmm. But what does it mean? It's kind of a generic thing, right? I mean, it, it does mean air pollution, water pollution, carbon dioxide, what?
1: So you're right. That, that's a pretty broad statement. Um, and one of, one of the big uh, sort of mottos at TCE is to imagine a Texas free from pollution, which is, again, pretty broad. Um, I'd say, you know, we over the years, we, we got started about 30 years ago now. And throughout the years, we've we've taken up a lot of different campaigns. Um, one of the big ones was regarding Dell where um, take back programs for electronics was a big thing for recycling, you know, electronics. instead of so going to the landfill and having hmm. the uh, the liquids inside of electronics drain into the landfill and go into the groundwater, et cetera. There was take back programs established. Um, so that was a big one. But I think if you're looking for a theme with all of the different campaigns that we've worked on over the years, it would be um, we take on uh, campaigns that have to do with polluter accountability. So, mm-hmm. in other in other words, the companies who are profiting off of poisoning us should foot the bill for cleanup and remediation efforts. Um, and then, in Texas specifically. It's definitely one where industry rules, um, they kind of get rubber stamps for permitting from the TCU. Um, oh, and the TCQ's is the Texas Commission of Environmental Quality in Texas. It's like a, the regulator here uh, in the state. Mm-hmm. But um, they've best, They usually have industries' interests in mind, and so um, a lot of the work that we do regards pulling the levers. Uh, we can to empower community members to fight back against corporate interests, um, and then at the bare minimum, to at least have polluting industries regulated in a way the way that they're supposed to by the TCQ. Since, um, but yeah, generally the TCQ does a piss poor job of that. <laughs> generally,
0: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but that's got to be an uphill battle. I mean, you know, you you. When you think about Texas, you think about oil wells right? I mean it's almost it's almost synonymous yeah. with petroleum yeah So I mean with, with onshore and offshore mm-hmm. drilling, um, you know it's a big part of the Texas economy and so I mean a lot Definitely. of people are making their living their fortunes on the Texas oil industry. So I mean you've got a pretty big battle there I mean a pretty challenging environment to advocate for you know consciousness for the environment. So mm-hmm. tell us some of the tell us about some of the pushbacks you're seeing, if any, from the uh, Texas oil industry.
1: Definitely, and I, what we've shifted to, um, I don't know. We've 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 actually had campaigns where we talk to say oil and gas workers um, working in the Permian, and a lot of times the common theme that we hear as first pushback uh, is, "What is the alternative?" Um, or sort of this idea like uh you know oil and gas is how it's always been here in texas and generally like people not being able to envision a different future since that's what they're used to um but um and yeah to be to be honest right now as far as i know uh renewable jobs aren't comparable to the salary and benefits in oil and gas jobs and um i think one of the pieces that we need to to really focus on as like the environmental movement is to to make sure that like those jobs are equivocal as far as salary and benefits. And yeah, I'd love to see unions get involved with mm-hmm. oil and gas workers and you know work on that um, to make that comparable. Um, a few things to note that I do wanna um, just make sure people, I don't know, it's just a hot take, I guess, but um, the having an economy that's based on one thing isn't really sustainable. Um, and as we see with oil and gas, there's a lot of busts, there's like boom and bust cycle. Um, and when there's a bust, many suffer the fallout of that. Um, We would love to diversify, say, the perm economy with other avenues of work instead of everything hinged on oil and gas. Um, Houston is a really good example of them expanding uh, education and medical vocations after. um, Yeah, and not having their economy so hinged on oil and gas like they did uh, when they had that bus back in the 90s, back in the 80s. So, yeah, Yeah. pushing for that. Um, And then. A big thing that's. Happening in Texas is um, there's a lot of venting, um, so venting and flaring. Basically, uh, when companies can't, it's it's more expensive for companies to create the infrastructure to capture flare what they're flaring off, the gas that they're flaring off. It's more mm-hmm. expensive for them to get that infrastructure in place than simply for like flaring it off. So you're having all of this uh, huge amount of waste happening, um, and and basically like not using resources well in Texas specifically. Um, and just to hit you with a stat, the total amount of wasted gas in the Permian hit 293.2 billion cubic feet in 2019, which is enough gas to provide electricity to more than 7 million US homes per year. And that's just wasted, like flared off. So um, mm. big thing there is just, you know, at least making the state, pushing the state to um, hold polluters to their permits, and then it's not, not wasting Texas's resources. Um, I, I think that's especially heinous after, you know, Texas had a huge snowstorm in, uh, February this past year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people, myself included, we went without water, we went without electricity. Um, and so the grid of the Texas grid is are you know, sort of monopolized and, you know, there's all this issue with that, but, um, you know, it's, it just kind of underlines the fact that we need to make sure that our natural resources are being used and not being wasted.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I remember hearing about that last winter. But you use mm-hmm. the term flaring off. What, is, what does that mean? What is that?
1: Sure. Um, so flaring, as far so when they have a well, like a, um, an oil rig well, um, there's a lot of, I'm going to butcher this. I, I probably should actually like have, <laughs> have like the description pulled up, but um, yeah. there's just a bunch of gas that's down underneath mm-hmm. the ground and like fracking sort of revolutionized how we're able to get to uh, crude oil and the, like the gas mm-hmm. underneath the ground, um, and the shale formations and whatnot. Um, so when they're getting that crude oil, there is just gas that's that's coming up out of the ground. And so mm-hmm. um, rather than capturing that, it's it's just let um, like let out. If you've ever been to Texas or you know there's I think there's some of this in like New Mexico and Pennsylvania, but it's essentially like a big a pipe coming up out of the ground, and there's just a flame, a big flame um oh, okay. from that com- just coming up out of the ground yeah so wow. um it's wild well, to see the, yeah
0: that's a lot of methane i guess that's coming out of the ground there then isn't it <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. it's sulfur dioxide um is the, a lot of it and it's like rotten eggs so um ector county which is out in the permian um they have i i, I should pull up some stats but they, they get a lot of, uh, flaring. So it's, it's just sort of normal to just have the air smell terrible, <laughs> you know, wow. or smell like rotten eggs. Yeah. Wow. Um, so it's a double whammy, you know, you've got all this pollution and it's just so much waste, you know? Um, and then people, people live, live around that and, you know, may, may not know any different cause that's how it's, it's always been, you know, that's what they're used to.
0: Well, that, uh, becomes sulfur trioxide, which then becomes, um, uh sulfuric acid. If I remember my high school chemistry well enough, which which contributes to acid rain and all kinds of bad environmental things, not to imagine, not, not to mention what it's doing to your lungs when you inhale that stuff.
1: Right. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you want
1: to, if you want to get angry, definitely look into Texas flaring, um, for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So, um, Let's um, talk a little bit more about this, because you you talked about the the fact that, you know, Houston, and I remember this, I mean, I'm showing my age, but I do remember the ups and downs that uh, Texas had during the, you know, petroleum boom and bust cycles. And when you're in a bust cycle, um, boy, I just remember like, you know, real estate in Texas was going way, way down and people were just looking for other places to go. And mm-hmm. then, you know, the oil prices rise, you know, OPEC raises their prices. And next thing you know, Houston's back in, or uh, Texas is back in business again. And this is going to be really mm-hmm. exhausting for people. So what I found yeah. very interesting though, when I looked into Texas and, you know, w- looking for alternative energy resources, um, they actually lead the world, yeah, not, not well, maybe not the world, but they lead the country anyways in terms of uh, wind power, right? And mm-hmm. I, I've um, I, the most recent time I was in Texas, was actually in Amarillo area a few years ago. I was driving through like the northern part of Texas, and mm-hmm. it's just uh, you can just see nothing but windmills as far as you as far as the eye can mm-hmm. see. And th- to put some numbers to that, they got like something like thirty-three thousand megawatts of electrical power generation um, when mm-hmm. the wind is blowing. Obviously, which it does a lot in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then to put that into perspective, that's like forty-five different coal-burning power plants. So uh, it's it's right. interesting that Texas is, yeah, they're very stubborn. You talked about them how people are saying this is how it has always been. We've always had this you know oil and gas industry here. And yet there's this other industry that's just coming out of nowhere, you know, and and creating all this energy. So um, that's got to be a good Mm -hmm. thing, though, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Um, I love that you brought this up because when I learned about this, I was, you know, my jaw dropped because, again, um, you brought it up in the beginning, like we associate Texas with oil and gas. And that's, you know, um, a huge piece. Um, Yeah. Texas produces more wind power than all but four countries in the world.
0: Wow, <laughs> which is
1: awesome. Um, and yeah, you said yeah. it. We produce the most wind energy. Yeah, and the produce the most wind energy of any U.S. state.
0: Any other um, state, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely. I mean, that was part of why I also like moved here. Is um, you know, I think we have this opportunity to to push Texas toward that future um, and toward embracing that. Um, ever a lot of the reports that I've read are you know different things that are coming out. um, It's only a matter of time before renewables sort of take over with like them getting cheaper, you know, easier to make, you know, all these different things with the market. Um, And so it's only a matter of time before that happens. It's the question is going to be, are we going to be ready for it and make sure that there's a just transition for workers, um, you know, and make sure that people aren't falling through the cracks Uh, a lot of those communities that, yeah, do rely on that as a vocation.
0: So, uh we're seeing uh, a number of what I would call unnatural disasters. I call them unnatural because they are they're masked like natural disasters, but you know, when you have all these storm surges going on, um you know, much mm-hmm. more intense storms, much more intense hurricanes. Uh we're seeing fire, massive fires. We're hearing a lot about what's going on on the West Coast these days, but these fires are going on all around the world. Um Australia, Turkey has had a, and and Hungary, I think has had some pretty big fires recently. Mm -hmm. And um, we're also beginning to see like, you know, people living on the beachfront properties. I read an article on this podcast, uh, not read an article, but I referenced an article on this podcast a few weeks ago where uh communities in miami florida mm. uh, beachfront properties are now they're looking for higher ground right and so now they're mm-hmm. there there's this migration toward what they call little haiti part of miami and i've never been there myself but um they're up on higher ground and now we have this gentrification thing going on they're right. trying to push out you know people displacing people um but to look a little bit further, we can look at Lake Mead, which is a little bit closer to you than Florida, I guess. Um, they are, <laughs> depending upon water from the Colorado River, and now Lake Mead is lower than it's ever been since it was constructed back in the 1930s. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the bottom line, if you are getting a lot more Americans now, are beginning to accept the idea that we are in a climate crisis. Is it too late to stop the damage? I, I think it might be too late. But um, what is your what is your opinion on that?
1: Um, Thank you. I I definitely hear this. Um, And it's, it's always tough to hear all of the things we're losing, you know, if you if you're paying attention, or if you're reading, or you're, you know, you're watching the news, it's like, another endangered species, or, you know, another fire, Um, something I saw even when living in Colorado, uh, was, you know, you've got all these trees up on the mountaintops. And um, because of global warming, there's a beetle that can travel further up the tree line, and so you've got um, beetle having more access to more trees up on these mm. mountaintops, and they're bringing a fungus that kills the tree. You know, so um, I feel like if you're paying attention and looking, you can see, you know, these impacts um, everywhere, and I, I think that, um, you know, that mm. that's that's hard, and I think there's certainly an, a lot to mourn there. Um, I will say I, I recently read a book called All We Can Save, which is an anthology of writings by 60 women at the forefront of the climate movement um, mm-hmm. who are they're harnessing truth, courage and uh, solutions to lead humanity forward. And that gave me a lot to think about uh, as far as solutions and the call for hope right now. Um, so I definitely recommend folks seeking out media and information like that. There's also another uh, great article I recently read by Rebecca Solnit. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce her name, but um, the title is "Dare We Hope? Here's My Cautious Case for Climate Optimism." Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, I you know I, I think all of these all of the big issues feel a little overwhelming and daunting. Um, you know whether that's systemic racism, gender violence, LGBTQ plus rights, the climate crisis. Um, but I, I think it's important to remember that it's not up to to you, you know, as the individual, to fix the whole thing. Um, it is up to you to do what you can and contribute your own efforts to these broad fights and movements, um, in whatever way that you can. Um, and that's both at the, you know, the the micro relationship level, you know, making sure that you're checking with your friends and um showing up uh and then also the the bigger political level you know um voting and and showing up for marches or whatever it happens to be um Mm -hmm. but um you know i i think it's people get overwhelmed because there's so much happening and there's so much you can do but you know you end up just sort of getting um stuck because it's it's there's just so much you know um Mm -hmm. but i but i think if you think of it in terms of you know what efforts can you contribute each day um, to the movement uh, small or big it all adds up uh, and then you know you suddenly go from however many years ago where you know people weren't really talking about global warming or you know it was just a handful of people that knew about it and then you know fast forward to today where it's a household world word and um, a big issue that's um, you know center of a lot of political platforms um so i'd say you know, focus on that. I think it's hard to see the, how far we've come and what progress we're making. But if you like, kind of take that step back and you, you look about how many, how many things have, have changed very rapidly over, over years, or you might, it might be an up, uphill climb, but then suddenly you get these victories, you know, and that makes it all worth it. So, um, mm-hmm. and I'd say for me personally, um, I I feel like I don't have a choice, but to stay optimistic <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, even, even if it is too late, um, I'm definitely not content to sit back and watch it happen. Um, you know, I wanna, I wanna commit to tapping into the grit and resilience we have as a species and um, make sure to remember the heroes and everyday people who are always um, working to build a more just world. You know, there's people all, all, all over the place. There's a lot of great groups. There's a lot of uh, great efforts being made. And I think it's important for us to, to look to them and, and uh, you know, notice that notice those like positive changes and positive movements rather than getting kind of bogged down by the, uh, the new cycle of that de- doom and gloom sort of thing.
0: Yeah. And you can get into like an information overload situation where you, you, in, in, in a lot of people yours truly included, it can cause a lot of anxiety. Like, you know, mm. where do I yeah. start? You know? Absolutely. And, um, and I think one of the messages I, I'm getting from you, though, is you start with yourself, right? You, um, you know, before, the pod, before this podcast started, you and I had a kind of a side discussion about uh, being vegetarian or vegan. Um, it, for me personally, you know, we went down the vegan path, my wife and I, and um, kind of relaxed a little bit and became vegetarians. It had good health benefits for me. Okay, that, that's that's me. But it actually, you know, I found out later on this actually helps the environment, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of the uh, rainforests are being cut back in, in uh, Brazil because, well, guess what? They're making, they're clearing land for cows. Well, cows eat like, what, uh, 20 times in, in weight. They eat 20 times more than they yield in basically meat. So mm-hmm. uh, it just makes a lot more sense than that. If you know, if somebody's really looking to contribute a little bit to the environment, well, contribute to your health at the same time, you know, and maybe consider taking the uh, vegetarian path, or at least cutting back on on uh, meat consumption, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I like what you said about being optimistic too. Um, I, I, we're kind of cut from the same cloth in that regard, uh, I think. You know, I asked you before if it's—is it too late to reverse the damage? That was more of an apocalyptic sort of question, um, sure. because I think that if you do give up and if you do say, "Oh heck, it's all lost anyways," so what difference does it make? You know, as you're throwing your trash on the on the road on, on the side of the right. road or something. Well, it, that attitude itself becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Right. Um,
1: or or an but, excuse or an excuse to not do anything, you know, if we're already doomed, if we're already doomed, then we don't, we don't need to do anything. Right. Um,
0: Right. Just wait for the, for the ax to fall. Right.
1: Inevitable. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. uh, yeah. I'm going to throw something kind of a curveball at you here because you hit upon a lot of the, uh, the, uh, or you and I are basically, as we're talking, here, we're hitting upon Mm -hmm. a lot of the concepts of the green new deal. Um, Nice. I am, I'm, you know, I, I say personally, I'm not a big fan of the fact that everything's kind of glommed together and like this, um, um, who was at, um, uh, one of my, one of my favorite authors out there said it's like a, a Christmas tree festooned with all kinds of presents and everything. Um, because it does actually, the green new deal does actually itemize a lot of these things, you know, that need to be mm. done, but it, it gets into like, you know, labor relations and things like that, which I don't mm-hmm. quite follow it when it goes in that direction, Mm-hmm. um but i get the whole idea so what's your idea i mean what's your what's your opinion about the green new deal
1: uh the green new deal um i read the green new deal i think a, i think there's a, a lot of people that don't haven't actually read it um mm-hmm. as far as an opinion um i think the strength of it is it it's an actual plan um can you hear me mm-hmm. i just got the the internet yeah, yeah. connection is unstable Okay. um i think it's the strength of it is there there's a plan there's also the uh the 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 green new deal for the south there's the the red new deal which is from indigenous people there's the blue new deal which is you know has a lot of the ideas of the the green new deal but like takes into account uh the ocean you know there's Mm -hmm. more more stuff regarding the ocean Mm -hmm. um but i i i I don't know that I like have a hot take of the Green New Deal. I, th- I think to me, um, in order to make the changes that are needed, there has to be bold, bold leadership at you know the at the top level, um, mm-hmm. which is, I think, one of one of the things that the Green New Deal sort of does, you know, and we we had the New Deal, you know, after the Depression, where right. uh, you know, they created the C- Conservation Corps. What is it? The, the Civilian Conservation Corps where people were paid to, like, you know, manage parks and set up, you know, um, infrastructure Mm -hmm. there, you know, so I think, I think that's one of the, the good things out of it is it's, it's a plan, and it's also an investment in infrastructure, you know, and I, there's just not as much investment, and there has to be investment um, in order for us to make, make that transition um, feasibly, you know, and I'm always Mm -hmm. sort of, I'm always sort of, uh, you know, solutions need to come from the communities and they need to be localized. You know, something that works in California isn't gonna work in Texas and by, you know, et cetera. Um, so I think as, as much as you can kind of empower solutions within, you know, like work uh, community-based the better, but at the same time, we, I feel like to make the drastic changes that need to take place, it, it needs to be bold leadership from the top.
0: I love that answer. I really do, because I think that that is the key, right? Um, and mm-hmm. it's interesting that you said you actually read the Green New Deal. Um, I hear so much criticism from people that haven't read it. I'm like, right. dude, it's like a 10 minute read. I mean, it's, right. it's it's not that big of a document. It's not like trying to get through the Bible or something. It's right. It's actually a pretty simple read. Um, i
1: i thought it was like 600 pages um for some reason but yeah i looked it up and it was like six so I was yeah like, yeah surprised there so i wonder if that's what other people are thinking you know you kind of think it's this giant document
0: but, yeah i was i was i was like saying well do i need to get a new hard drive from my computer as i download <laughs> this thing right and it's only like, it's double space like six pages or something like, <laughs> right you can get through it very quickly and yeah. <laughs> But I, but I think right. that, yeah, it, it does lay down a, a, I think it just lays down a structural framework. It, it's, it's sort mm-hmm. of a, a goal. It, it really, um, but yeah, it actually leaves the, the floor open for, I think you hit the nail on the head, that bold leadership to get in there and say, okay, you know, um, you know we're, th- this is the Green New Deal, may not do 100% of it. I think it's there's a lot of parts of it that just kind of branch off, and I'm not really sure how it relates to the environment, but it is mm-hmm. a great floor plan to start with for a strong leader to, to come up and, and do something. Um, right. Totally love your answer there. So, um, setting aside climate crisis for the moment, um, there are a lot of bad effects from just, you know, plain old pollution that's poisoning our streams, our water supply, our air. Um, I mean, I could go on and on about, you know, what the effects are, at least, you know, I'm in Missouri here and we're just seeing a lot of it here as well. Um, so these things may not be causing a climate crisis by themselves, um, but they are tremendous health risk. We talked earlier about, you know, the, the uh, what do you call it? the flame, the flaming, the flaming off? Was that a, the term you used? Flaring. Uh, yeah, flaring. flaring. off. Okay. I, had, mm-hmm. I can't even read my own writing here. Flaring off. Um, <laughs> no worries. So, uh, you know, these, these are, these are very, you know, um, cancer causing, you know, carcinogenic type of uh, environment. And and I know your next door mm-hmm. neighbor there in Louisiana is having a really hard time in mm-hmm. this area called cancer alley over there, yep. uh, where yep. just all kinds of industrial chemicals are being, uh, ex- people are just being exposed to industrial chemicals. Right. And, you know, it's usually the people that are in, in the lower parts of the, of the economic scale. Right. And, yep, uh, definitely. That, that, that's a, that's, that's a double tragedy there. So Um, What sort of successes have you found in advocating for these uh, anti-pollution policies there in Texas?
1: Um, We've focused like the victories that we've had have been around like recycling initiatives a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that I think the recent shift that we've had with, um, you know, a year ago or whenever it was, we weren't working on directly um, pushing back on oil and gas. We were working more on things that aren't so divisive in Texas, like recycling Um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, the city of Austin, we were able to get curbside compost for residential housing. You know, we got apartment recycling in Dallas. So things that are, you know, um, most people can agree are good to have. Um, as far as anti-pollution policies, I think a lot, you know, a lot of the work that we've, we've focused on this last year, um, you know, we, we used to do door-to-door organizing, but with the pandemic, we have been, um, reaching out to folks over the phone or through texting. Mm -hmm. So that's how we've been doing the majority of our organizing. And, um, a lot of the work that we have been focused on is, um, fighting the petrochemical build out In Texas for the for oil and gas so that starts with you know fracking in the Permian and and then shipping those shipping that crude oil through pipelines you know all across the state that you know sometimes go on people's property or you know through through landscapes Um, and then going to the coast there's a lot of uh, proposed projects for export terminals which Mm -hmm. um, in 2015 Obama lifted the ban on crude oil export um, because we'd sort of we'd sort of leveled off. There wasn't there's not as much demand now that fracking sort of took off. So in order mm-hmm. for in order for oil and gas companies to make profit, they they need to ship crude oil overseas. So it's a same thing in Louisiana. There's a giant you know there's just a big push by a lot of companies to get an export facility built on the coastal bend, um, and so right now we're focused on sort of putting out fires or making sure that we are impeding uh, pollution like future pollution, if you will. Sure. you know um, if if those projects are built then that's sort of sets the future trajectory, right? Um, so keeping those if even if we can keep one or two or three or however many that we can we can keep from being built, that'll be a victory you know as far as those um, anti-pollution efforts. Um, and then working with, yeah, you said front frontline communities is sort of what you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times, polluting facilities are put in communities of color or, you know, lower income communities where people don't have the ability to, to get out of those. Um, there's a a guy named Robert Bullard who coined the term environmental justice. And one of the things he found, I think this is in Houston, um, but even if it's if even if a family is middle class um, black, they still are way more likely to live by like a landfill or a polluting polluting entity. Um, mm. So that's been the main focus. Um, yeah. But yeah, we've had success, I, I think, you know, just push pressuring the the various cities we're in toward that um, more yeah. recycling infrastructure um, sure. and take back programs. But I, I think way more is is sort of impeding future polluting projects um, from happening. is a is a big push right now.
0: Yeah, how do you pressure them? I mean, it, it, I'm just um, I know I'm going off script here a little bit and just kind of you know diverging into a, a um sure. into a different area. But I'm very curious about this. I mean, do you build up relationships with your local politicians, or do you? Do any sort of lobbying or anything like that. I mean, I I can't imagine that you would just, you know, walk up to to Shell Corporation and say, you know, you can't build this facility here. And they say, okay, we're sorry, you know. Um, I mean, it doesn't work that way. Nope. Or maybe it does. I don't know.
1: (laughs) It it does not. No. Um, We've, that's a great question. When we were in the field, a lot of our, a lot of the grassroots organizing was, Getting letters, so having folks write to, you know, whatever the letter target happened to be, you know, if it was a city city um, push, then it would be their local reps. Um, in this regard, you know, with with the pressure that we're putting on for, um, you know, a big a big thing here would be for uh, Biden to reinstate the export ban. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that would be a big, so he's, he's kind of a big target right now because he has, you know, that, that ability at, you know, at the top there. Um, so if he would reinstate that, then you wouldn't have all of these projects, you know, buying to be built so that we can, you know, export crude oil to, to over, you know, abroad overseas, because we know, you know, whether that, whether that crude oil is burned here in the U S or abroad, it's gonna, it's gonna, um,
0: it's gonna either way
1: yeah, it's going to contribute to um, that climate bomb. So, yeah, yeah, Biden at the top, but, you know, it it really depends. I mean, sometimes it's, yeah, we've, uh, after this storm, Storm Uri that was in February, we, we had a lot of folks, uh, organized a lot of folks to meet with their local reps, Um, you know, so it was, it it was having them meet face-to-face over Zoom, but, um, get a chance to speak with their representative and get their story heard of like what they went through with the storm. And then um, we put together you know like a platform of, uh, of goals. you know, big ones were that corporations shouldn't profit off of a, of a catastrophe, you know of a crisis because a lot of companies made bank um, during that during that storm in February. and a lot of uh, people who suffered were sort of hinged with the bill for that. Um, so, you know, it, it varies per to the campaign, you know, but, uh, a a typical one is, yeah, letters, calls, uh, petitions, um, yeah. Meeting with their legislator, targeting the legislator with, uh, phone calls or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it happens to be. Um, hopefully that answers your question. It, it, we definitely don't, we definitely, uh, one of the things we found is, uh, you know, one of the campaigns we were working on is pressuring, insurance companies to divest from fossil fuels, you know, there's a lot of global pressure happening there, Um, you know, because it's, you're right, there's, there's not a lot of wiggle room with going directly to the company and saying, hey, as an environmental group, we want you to stop (laughs) doing this, you Mm. know, if, but if you can pressure those insurance companies who care a lot about their public appearance and care a lot about how customers see them, you know, and where those monies are invested, um, then that's a tactic, you know, to, to kind of get at the, these projects can't be built if there's not insurance, you know. So so thinking about the different tactics there for depending on the campaign. Yeah.
0: Well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean it's uh it's like a karate, right? You kind of try to find their weak spot and and, <laughs> and you know try to use that, I like that. yeah I like Yeah that. I can I can imagine one of the one of the uh feedback or one of the pushbacks you're gonna get is jobs, 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 right? I mean if you mm-hmm. if you don't if you're not building this terminal for shipping crude oil overseas, then you know, people are gonna say, Wow, you're you know, it could it, they always overestimate, right? They're gonna say something like, Well, you're putting ten thousand people out of work or something like that. Right. But at the same time, you know, in this kind of dovetails an earlier part of our conversation when we talked about uh, windmills, I mean, you know, Texas is leading the way there. So I mean how can mm-hmm. you know, kind of how can you kind of say, hey people, you don't need that petroleum job, maybe if we Invest more in wind power. We can get people, you know, pushing in that direction. Right. I mean, it's a lot. It's like 8.8 percent, I think, of the U.S. power is now uh, generated from wind turbines. And uh, power, because of the of the disaster that Texas had last February, um, you know, with the power outage and that that winter storm that just came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. and they had to wake up a lot of people and make them realize, Hey, we've got a problem here.
1: Right. I mean, that was, that was a disaster. I mean, to me, like the way I think of that, it was, it was a politicizing event. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter if you were um, you know, if you were paying attention before or not, you, you probably suffered to that storm or know somebody who did, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I definitely think, and a storm similar, I'm, I'm not sure if it was like super similar, but the same thing happened in 2011 11, and um, mm. you know, there's just a catastrophic storm. And um, we were also, I think seconds away from the grid is totally collapsing for potentially months. Um, oh, wow. And, and it's one of those things where, you know, we talk about the weather getting more and more volatile and you know, all this, but it's, it it's, it was wild to me going through that because it, it's, it's amazing how quickly things break down, you know, like just thinking about the hospitals that didn't have power or, you know, just being able to get to the store or having water, you know, it's just like all of these things. It's like, it's so easy to forget, um, you know, just just how big these things are, you know, um, until mm-hmm. they, they're happening. Um, so in a way, yeah, I think that was a, that was a politicizing event for a lot of people because you, you weren't really necessarily spared, you know, you, if you weren't affected, then you knew somebody who who was, yeah. um, but hopefully, yeah, hopefully that, that will push toward, toward change. It's, it's tough here in Texas because we have ding, dinguses in the, in the state legislature, but, um,
0: yeah, yeah, well, that, that yeah, definitely um, <clears throat> a bit of dysfunction going on in the legislator section mm-hmm. with, you know, all the Democrats leaving oh, town man. and uh, right, <laughs> we could talk for hours about that.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I've, it's, it's, um, I can see that that, that is a wake up call for a lot of people and, um, you know, the, and it was directly tied to the climate, right. And, um, it wasn't necessarily global warming, but, uh, it is a climate change event that, uh, that pushed Texas to this point And, uh, what I found curious was that some politicians, they backed off on it pretty quickly, but they said, well, it's because of the windmills. Oh, the yeah. yeah. And I'm like, what are you guys talking no. about? Much, what do you think our <laughs> IQ level is out here? Come on. I mean, you right, know. right. <laughs> uh, but I think they it's, backed off on that because they realized they yeah. probably pushed it a little bit too far.
1: Yeah, and completely unfounded on any any sort of
0: facts. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, yeah, it's... I'm looking here from St. Louis and I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, but anyways, so uh, I know we're running up toward the end of our time here, but I did want to get to something in here really quick, which was uh, the Texas campaign for the environment, which is where you're you're currently doing all of your work. Um, mm-hmm. How can people get involved if they're interested in, in helping out?
1: Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so our website, that's probably... You know, if you're not in Texas, that's probably the easiest way to get involved. Um, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. But our website is texasenvironment.org. So Texas Environment is all one word and then .org. Um, and then as far as beyond that, um you know, I recognize we're in Texas and a lot of folks will be, I, I mean, there has been a lot more focus on Texas because we have this giant, yeah, climate bomb in the, in mm-hmm. the Permian and oil and gas. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, definitely connect there. There's a lot of great fights happening on the coastal bend and uh, frontline communities there. Um, but definitely always encourage folks to tap into whatever their local groups are doing as well um, mm-hmm. sh- and show up for public meetings in your community. You can uh, volunteer for a group doing work you care about. You can write letters and make phone calls to your reps, uh, meet with them. You can go to a march, uh, make a donation, even if it's a small one. Um, yeah, generally just show up in whatever way you're able to. There's there's all kinds of different avenues to get involved, depending on your personality and your your skill set. So, um, yeah, always mm-hmm. want to leave folks with that.
0: Yeah, good, good, yeah. And I've said this on the podcast before, but I'm just shocked and amazed, at least in in Missouri here, how – uh, accessible a lot of these legislators are, um, the state legislators that is, mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty easy to uh, get their attention. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them don't want to have anything to do with their constituents, so I leave them alone because <laughs> you know, hopefully they waste won't be time. there very long. Yeah, right. it's kind of a waste of time. But a lot right. of them, even the ones that I don't agree with, are actually pretty responsive. So right. Right. I was very pleased with that. Right. At least you can get in front of them. OK, yeah. good. Well, um, we've been uh, we've been talking with Chelsea Tobin, community organizer, activist for the environment and staff director in the Austin, Texas office for the Texas Campaign for the Environment, or TCE. Chelsea, thank you again for stopping by this evening.
1: Yeah, thank you so much again. It was it was great to have a conversation and thanks for the space and the, the platform and um, everything that you're doing on your end. I yeah. appreciate it.
0: And thank you for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any new episodes. Each week we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast this evening and would like to get involved in the Alliance Party, please see our website at www.theallianceparty.com. All one word, The Alliance Party www.theallianceparty.com. As we expand the party, we need your involvement. Democracy is not a spectator sport. Donations and volunteers are always welcome. If you'd like to contact us at the Alliance Party After Dark, drop us an email at podcast at theallianceparty.com. Also, see our Twitter page at Alliance On Air. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for this evening's edition of the Alliance Party After Dark. And on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.